Our scripture reading for today, as well as our text for today's message, comes from Matthew's Gospel, the seventh chapter, these four verses. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? Let us pray. Lord, as always, we come to you and we ask for your Spirit's presence, not only with the speaker that his words would be your words, but also in the hearts of those who hear May your word take root and bring forth that seed and fruit that you so desire. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have a Facebook account? Okay, some of you do. Uh, I was kind of surprised helping my sister-in-law, who's in her 60s, try to make sense of her Facebook account the other day, and she was mildly surprised that I had 600 friends, but <laughs> so was I. Well, among my Facebook, I'll call them acquaintances, uh, I have one who has always been something of an authority on everything. Now, just for sake of anonymity, I'm going to call him Bob, okay? Uh, Bob is one of those guys who insists on having the final word on any topic. Now, most of the time, you can kind of take it with a grain of salt, but when it comes to spiritual matters, it can be downright annoying and even destructive. And, of course, when you do this on Facebook in kind of a, a, an anonymous fashion, it makes it even worse. Now, most days, his Facebook status has to do with something that somebody else is doing wrong. He's either haranguing the president or this senator or that senator or this governor or that governor. Uh, and then sometimes he criticizes this pastor or this preacher or this church or that denomination. And if you want to know what everybody else is doing wrong in this world, Bob is your go-to guy. A few weeks ago, when he decreed that one megachurch, one really big church pastor, had abandoned his faith for fame and fortune, one of his friends called him on it. He wrote, how can you say pastor so-and-so is not sincere? Who made you judge and jury? Doesn't the Bible say, judge not lest ye be judged? Well, Bob, that's what we'll call him, rapid fire came up with this response. The Bible says that we are to judge with a righteous judgment. It also says by their fruits you shall know them. Now, I'm not pastor so-and-so's final judge. I'm just a fruit inspector, and his fruit doesn't pass inspection. Well, Bob's friend responded, again, who made you the chief fruit inspector? Now, you're going to either be pleased or not to know that the conversation continued on for some time. But this conversation actually raises a point to consider today. And it's this. What is the proper middle ground between the statements that Jesus makes about making judgments? You see two passages on your screen. One from Matthew 7, 1 says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. You also see in John 7, 24, Jesus saying, Stop judging by mere appearance and make a right judgment. 
That seems to be almost two contradictory statements. Now, elsewhere, if you read through your New Testament, both Jesus and Paul said that there will be times when we do need to confront someone about their behavior. So where is the balance? How do we actually judge? Well, we're in the fourth and final week of our series called Approved, and we've been looking at this topic of approval from all different sides. And today I just want to challenge you to think about how you either use or misuse approval in your relationships with other people. So when Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged, he's talking about the very human tendency that every last one of us gathered here today has. It's that tendency to want to play God, to set ourselves all up just a a little bit higher than everyone else, a little bit wiser than everyone else, a little bit more together than everyone else, a little bit more righteous, if you will, than anyone else. It's the attitude that says, look, I'm the one who sets the standard and it's up to you to raise yourself up to my standard and meet my satisfaction. Now, there are people in this world who use that kind of approval to manipulate and control everyone else. And it's not just in spiritual matters, but it's in every area of your life. Now, today, I just want to say something very simple, four words. Don't be that person. Don't be that person. In one of my former churches, I had a woman who told me uh, that it hurts her feelings whenever her daughter never invites her over to her house to visit. Well, I had a chance to talk to the daughter, and I said, why don't you ever invite your mom to visit? And she said, I would rather be tortured than to have my mom visit my house. Really? Yeah, because all she does is sit around and judge me the whole time. She makes little comments about everything, like the handprint on the wall, uh, the piles of laundry, uh, the dust on the bookshelf. I will never, ever be the homemaker she is, and she's never, ever going to let me forget it. Now, when I heard that, I think I want to say to that mother, is your disapproval worth it to not be welcomed in your own daughter's house? Now, I knew the daughter well enough to know that she was struggling. Uh, She could have really used some encouragement. She could have used some advice, but she was not going to get it from her mother. Because of her mother's constant disapproval had sabotaged her ability to ever speak any useful words into her daughter's life. Now, I find that extremely sad. You see, disapproval of other people is rooted in judgment today. So I want to talk to you about how to make right judgments in a way that you deal with other people in God-pleasing ways. And I'm going to offer just three simple little guidelines. Here's number one. If you're not on the jury... Abstain from reaching a verdict. Now, too many people today, and I think Facebook is probably a good example, or in the comment section of almost every news article you can find, but too many people today believe that they have to have an opinion about everything. And they also feel that they have to actually voice it out loud. Now, we, have a, we live in a culture today that seems to have a hard time differentiating between being opinionated and being involved. Many people think that if they just speak out about something, then they've done their part. But unfortunately, many times, we want to speak out about things that are, quite honestly, none of our business. I may give you a couple of personal examples. I will admit that I struggle with this from time to time. But it is not my job 
to speculate about whether or not a certain pastor is sincere in what he does as a pastor. That's not my job. It is not my job to criticize the way another church does or doesn't do ministry. Actually, if that another church's ministry is not of God, guess what? God will judge it. But if that ministry is of God, I don't want to mess with it. In Romans chapter 14, verse 4, Paul said, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Uh, to their own master, servants stand and fall. I mean, in, in 1 Thessalonians 4.11, he says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. Now, what I'm saying is this, if you're not directly involved in a situation, you don't necessarily need to have an opinion about it. And, therefore, you don't need to actually express that unnecessary opinion. In other words, if you're not on the jury, then you need to abstain from making a verdict. That means there'll be times when you just need to kind of step back and say to yourself, you know something, this is none of my business. I'll keep my nose out of it. I'm going to keep my opinions to myself. But the second thing is, before you evaluate anyone else, evaluate yourself. Now, I asked in Bible class this morning, how would you know uh, what a bad sinner looks like? I think somebody said, well, you stand and look in the mirror in the morning. Now, there's an old blues song. I actually went and listened to it. I haven't been listening to it not long ago. It, it was written by Bo Diddley. Some of you know that name. But it was recorded a couple of times by one of my favorite guys, Eric Clapton. And there's a line in it that says, before you accuse me, take a look at yourself. It's pretty good advice. And I think it's all advice that we could and should take. There's also a story, you recognize these characters. I remember reading Peanuts for many years. Uh, but in a storyline, Linus said to Lucy one day, Why are you always so anxious to criticize me? Lucy said, I just think I have a knack for seeing other people's faults. And then Linus said, well, what about your own faults? And Lucy shrugs and said, I have a knack for overlooking them. <laughs> you ever meet people like that? I think we all have. In Romans 2.21, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? Verse 3 of our text today, uh, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Maybe you remember some of these people. You remember when Bill Clinton was going through the Monica Lewinsky scandal? This has kind of popped up in the headlines again. Two of his most outraged and outspoken critics were Gary Condit, he's the guy on the bottom, and Newt Gingrich up at the top. In time, what did we find out? We found out that both men were also involved in extracurricular activities of their own. At the, at the very same time that these two guys were blasting Bill Clinton, they were doing basically the same thing. Well, that's politics. What about religion? Remember Jim Baker, Tammy Faye? Uh, when Jim Baker was caught up uh, in the Jessica Hahn scandal, his most outspoken critic was... Recognizing Jimmy Swagger. And later we learned that at the very same time Swagger was lambasting Jim Baker, he was also involved in his own scandals. But we're not that bad, are we? 
I would say, except for the fact that none of us is on television, maybe we are that bad, but in a different way. Maybe we don't condemn people who make the same mistakes we do. We just condemn people who make different mistakes or bigger mistakes, at least as far as we are concerned. For example, I know some people who cannot control their temper. They yell, they scream at their employees, they yell all the time at their family members whenever things don't go their own ways. And in their eye, eyes, they just think that they're intense. They'll say, I only yell at my wife, or I only yell at my kids because I really care about them. Now, yelling is okay to him, but also in this same guy's opinion, if you are not punctual and on time, it's because you lack moral integrity. See, in their mind, losing their temper is a little thing, but punctuality is a really big thing. That's the way we often see our world, too. Your sin is always worse than my sin. That's the way it works, isn't it? Yours is always smaller. This is why it's sometimes difficult, and like I said, I'll admit to struggling with this from time to time. It's why it's difficult for me to be critical of other pastors or critical of other ministries, because I know that while I might be pointing out their failures or my difference of opinion with them because they happen to be in different denominations or whatever, sometimes I can get so busy doing that that what do I do? I fail to look at my own faults. So before you ever evaluate anyone else... Try a little evaluation on yourself. Be willing to be as hard on yourself as you are on other people. The third part of this is don't criticize a problem or a person unless you're ready to be part of the solution. I've been a pastor long enough of uh, enough churches to know that there are some church members, probably none of them here at St. Mark's, um, yeah, probably are because they're all over the place, but uh, church members often have a bad habit of criticizing areas in the church in which they are not involved. For example, I'm going to back up a few churches with my own life. There are some people, for example, who have absolutely no connection whatsoever with children's ministries who do not like the way that children's ministry is being done. Now, you can plug in music ministry, you could plug in trustees, you could plug in LWML. I don't care what you want to plug in there. But what do these people do? Do they volunteer to help make children's ministries better? Do they volunteer to teach those little two, three-year-old little worm burners? Not, not typically. Not typically. Typically, they like to just stand on the outside and criticize the music the pastor, LWML, trustees, elders, sound techs, you name it. They just cast their disapproval on all of those people who sacrifice their time and effort to do whatever ministry God has called them to do because it's easier to do what? It's easier to criticize than it is to get involved. And I see it's the same with your children. It's the same way with your spouse. I mean, it's easy to criticize and complain. And I should apologize to somebody here because I've had good practice doing it for almost 50 years. It's easy. Any of you that are married or in a relationship, you know it's easy to criticize and complain to the other person. It comes naturally. 
The reason it comes naturally is because you were conceived in sin and born in sin. It's easy to cast judgment and disapproval on what other people don't measure up to. I mean, the greater challenge is, rather than to discourage them, which means to suck the courage out of them, to encourage them, which means to put courage back into them, to inspire them, to work alongside of them, to help them develop better habits. One of the great Greek writers uh, by the name of Anonymous uh, wrote this. I have no right by anything I do or say to demean a human being in his own eyes. What matters is not what I think of him. It is what he thinks of himself. To undermine a man's self-respect, and we might say a woman's self-respect, is a sin. Now let me tell you something. Disapproval is cheap. It's easy. Anybody here can do it. Disapproval takes absolutely no talent at all. Disapproval takes no character. You don't have to be the wisest person in the world to show disapproval. Anybody can do it. But friends, don't be anybody. Demand more from yourself. Reflect on whose image you were created in. Instead of putting people down, make it your job to lift them up. There's a big difference. I remember back when I was in high school playing basketball. And I had been a starter both my freshman and my sophomore year in high school. In my junior year, I did not play very well and played sporadically. When as I came back as a senior in the first game, I was one of the first people into the game. The second game, I was one of the first people to come into the game. And in the third game, I didn't play until the last three or four minutes of the game. But in those last three or four minutes of the game, I scored 12 points. The next night, we were playing at home back in front of our home crowd, Concordia High School, and many students from Concordia Teachers College. And uh, I'd eaten a big meal before the game because I wasn't going to get in until the third or fourth quarter. I could digest by then. And I remember sitting there before the game, and Coach Baden said, there are some people lately who have really played hard. They play like they want to play. And that's why Barry is starting tonight. I got up and went and vomited. I have never eaten before a sporting activity after that. In fact, I almost never eat before any time I speak, although I did have a donut this morning. Well, that night, I had a particularly good game. I had 18 rebounds and 14 points. I felt really, really good. I went over to the snack bar afterwards to celebrate, and one of my classmates walked up to me and said, Nice try. You know what that would feel like when you were feeling really good about yourself and somebody said, nice try? That's like sticking a needle in a balloon. See, that's the kind of person he was. And to be quite honest, he's still kind of the same way. He is always about disapproval. And disapproval is toxic. 
Uh, it damages relationships with other people. And, it, and the one thing we should all remember is that disapproval also damages our relationship to our Father in Heaven. And that's because it causes us to see ourselves a little bit better than everyone else, and it causes uh, us to focus on our sin less than everyone else's, and it causes us to stay uninvolved and dis- uh, distanced from everyone else. See, all I can really say with certainty is that no one in this world needs your disapproval. I mean, you're not helping anyone with your condemnation or condescension or constant criticism. But I can also say with certainty that everyone whom God has placed in your life, they need your encouragement. They really do. And if they're not where they need to be, and let's all be honest, every last one of us has got somebody in our family or in our neighborhood or whatever that are not where they need to be. And I'm talking about spiritually or professionally or personally. What is our challenge then as Christians? I mean, God didn't look at us and say, you know, what a bunch of losers. You guys are all walk around doing a loser. Didn't say that. God spoke words of encouragement into our life because he wanted us to be everything that he created us to be. And so our challenge is to get involved in people's lives. To help them take the next steps in the right direction. You know, one of the things that I thought I would do next to none of after I actually, quote, retired, which was which really another way of saying reposition and refresh, was to do marriage counseling or any other form of counseling where people's lives were not as well as they should be. But I found that God says, no, there's still opportunities to speak words of courage, encouragement into people's lives. That's our challenge, to move people in the next step. We all need to be the voice that says, I'm not here to knock you down. I'm here to lift you up. So what do we make of Matthew chapter 7, 1 to 4? Well, I think it's a warning for us to avoid the extremes of judgment. We need to be careful not to become harshly judgmental, looking at other people's faults or taking the opportunity to look down on other people from our position of self-righteousness. But, but, and there's always a but, isn't there? But we are not to overlook sin. That's the other side of this equation. We need to be able to recognize sin for what it is. And any attempt to overlook or justify sin on any grounds is in itself sinful. If you need examples of that, look at the life of Jesus. As we close, I just want to talk about a story of Jesus in John chapter 8. Jesus is teaching when he is suddenly confronted by a mob that drag a woman in front of him and throw her to the ground, a woman who has been caught in the very act of adultery. Now, the mob tried to use her as if she were a thing in order to trap Jesus. The Jewish law said this woman must die. Roman law says, however, that she could not be killed without their permission. Now, there was never any doubt whatsoever about her guilt, nor was there any doubt as to the seriousness of what she had done. Now, what did Jesus do when he saw that woman laying in front of him. Well, the first thing was he refused to look down on her. 
He would not allow the crowd to treat her as an object. He would not allow anyone to treat her as a thing. Rather, you may remember, he wrote in the dirt. I don't have many questions I ever want to ask when I get to heaven someday, but that might be one of them. What were you writing? Some people say he was writing the names of some of the people who brought her there and behind everybody's name was writing the sin that they were guilty of. I don't know. Whatever. But he forced them to consider their own sin. He did not judge. But, on the other hand, he did not justify her behavior either. He wouldn't refer to her action as anything other than sin. He said, go and, what, sin no more. He forgave her, and then he challenged her to stop sinning. That story in itself probably shows us two different ways to view judgment and judging. And friends, the good news for us today is this. Jesus does the very same thing for all of us, each and every day. First John says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you come to him, he forgives your sin too. And he does it with the challenge to live a life of purity for him, to live a life of forgiving without judgment to others. May God bless us and grant us the spirit's strength to accomplish this. Amen.